Good evening, everyone. What's going on? Welcome to episode three of season two of the Table Talk podcast. We have a very important discussion and conversation for you today. We are looking forward to it. Uh, we have some guests who are here to represent the conversation and and talk about it and with educational backgrounds to discuss this kind of conversation. So we will introduce the guests. But first, I'm going to introduce, obviously, the co-hosts of the show. You got the little sis, Sada Thabit, in the building. She is here, uh, back in the building, ready to, ready to have a great conversation. Shout out to little sis, Sada Thabit. And then to the left of me, you got big sis, Abir Thabit. She's in the building. Um, and, you know, she's ready to have a great conversation as well. Of course, you got myself, Omar T, in the building as well. And then to the left of Abir is one of our guests, Dr. Najat, who is a doctorate in the clinical psychology department. Shout out to Dr. Najat. She, uh, she's the one that mentioned this conversation today and said, like, let's do this. Let's have this conversation. It's important for our community. And I agreed with her 100%. I thought this was something that needs to be discussed. It's a taboo topic in our communities. So, you know, this is what we're here for, to address these kind of topics and hopefully learn something and then take that next step, whatever that next step may be. So welcome, Dr. Najat. And then she mentioned about someone coming on the show as well. And as someone that is also a doctor, and that's Dr. Mahendit Hakim, and he'll be here within the next five minutes, inshallah. He is not only a doctor, he's an author, he's an MM, and his doctor is in engineering. So he'll come here and, and make sure that the conversation is... Not just us, you know, talking with, you know, factual information as well, but he's also going to bring in Islamic perspective to it and making sure, you know, we are on topic um, when it comes to the religious aspect of it as well. Uh, but before we continue the conversation, I do want to say um, subscribe to our pages. First of all, on YouTube, Oz Media 313. Make sure you hit that like button, subscribe, hit the bell for future notifications. On Facebook, it's Motivate Me 313. Also on Instagram, Motivate Me 313. You can also listen to this show later on Apple and Spotify podcasts under Oz Media. And I think this is a great week to share some of your thoughts. So if you want to call in, I got the phone right next to me right here. The number is 313-306-1750. Again, the number is 313-306-1750. Make sure you give us a call. Share your thoughts. You know, we will be digging deep into this conversation. So please feel free to call in anytime you feel like you want to share your thoughts on any part of the topics. Uh, before we do get the show started and get the show on the road, um, shout out to our sponsors. You got the Balkan House Restaurant, Hanley International Academy, Kahwa House, and BC Adhesives. Those are four of our sponsors. We will talk about two of them, which is BC Adhesives and the Balkan House Restaurant. So we're going to start off with the BC Adhesives. So shout out to BC Adhesives. Yusuf, can you get that rolling? BC Adhesives. You can go to BC Adhesives for all your industrial adhesives needs. They do food packaging, book binding, product assembly, and many other industrial services. So if you are in need of adhesives for your business or having trouble with your current adhesives applications, you can contact them by phone, 1-888-679-9825, or go on their website, www.bcadhesives.com. All right. All right. That's awesome. Well, with that said, um, like I said, feel free to comment. By the way, we got the questions right here in front of me as well. Uh, the chat is right in front of me, so you have any thoughts about anything, feel free to comment it. If you don't want to call in, I have it in front of me as well. But let's have Dr. Najat tell us a little bit about herself, you know, what does she do, introducing herself, and, and you know, maybe even get into why did you feel like you wanted to have this discussion today. So 
Welcome, Dr. Najash. You want to give her a round of applause, by the way, Yusuf. You know, the crowd right now, we have to make sure that they're awake, ready to go. There you go, Dr. Najash. Appreciate it, all right? Thank you so much, Omar, and thank you for the Motivate Me 313 crew for having me and uh, hosting this very important conversation. My name is Dr. Najat Nahshal. I have a PhD in clinical psychology. I am currently a postdoctoral fellow or a clinical resident at the Veterans Hospital in downtown, the uh, VA Medical Center in downtown. Um, and I also do a lot of community work and activism. Um, I just completed my dissertation research, which focused on Arab American Muslim emerging adults, filial responsibility, acculturation, and psychosocial adjustment. Um, and I did so mainly to give back to our community. I conducted a national dissertation study because I thought it was a vital um, kind of growing up anecdotally seeing all of the mental health issues manifesting in our community um, in different ways among these immigrant children um, and the taboo that existed with mental health and stigma. So I really wanted to study uh, what goes on in this in, in emerging adulthood, what goes on in late adolescence, um, and what are the factors that contribute to having um, lower levels of psychological, uh, psychosocial adjustment. So um, psychological issues with psychological distress, issues with intergenerational conflict. Um, and that is my passion. Uh, to really kind of uh, dig deep and understand and, and pr investigate and produce and implement strategies, culturally specific strategies to increase the well-being, to improve the well-being and mental health um, of the individuals in our community. And I think that's that's pretty much who I am in a nutshell or what I'm doing right now. And and while while we've got uh, Dr. Hakim joining us, yeah, you're more than welcome to join on in. I do want to mention, I, I forgot to say what the topic is today. I didn't actually get into detail. So today's topic, we're going to discuss suicide prevention and mental health in our communities. Those are the two topics. So we do want to give you a trigger warning. You know, this show will feature a panel discussing suicide, which some might find disturbing. If you or someone you know is having serious thoughts of suicide, please call 911 or the National Suicide Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. They also take text messages as well. So please remember this is a trigger warning. We want to let you know that the topic is about suicide prevention and mental health in our communities. Now we want to formally introduce Dr. Hakim. He is here with us today. Like I mentioned, his doctor is in engineering, but he's also an MM. He's also an author and a community activist as well. So thank you and welcome Dr. Hakim to the to the Motivate Me uh, Table Talk podcast. This is my sister, Sada, my sister, Abir, and I'm sure you know Dr. Najat as awesome. well. So welcome, and you know, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, and okay. why do you feel it's important to be here for this conversation? Okay, assalamu alaikum everyone. Thanks for having me. And no it's an honor to be part of this. Uh, when uh, Dr. Najat told me about this initiative, anything that spreads more awareness, that hopefully will re let the message reach a wider audience beyond the masjid people, beyond those who do attend classes and are involved in the community. Any initiative is, of course, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a blessing to be here. So a little bit about myself. As we mentioned, um, I have a PhD in engineering. I work at Ford, Ford Motor Company in, uh, as a software engineer, basically. We try to test automated driving software car, you know, cars with automated software to make sure that the software is reliable, is safe to drive on the road, basically. And that's, in a sense, related to what I do as an imam because I try to teach Islam in a way that fits our 21st generation without changing the principles of Islam. I believe Islam is a timeless message. Everybody could benefit from, is from the Islamic principles. And as pertains to mental health, I feel the op Islam as an operating system really protects people from 
severe modes of either diving into the dunya so much and being materialistic, hedonistic, driven, and and the other extreme to be depressed and well, you know I think Islam is the right operating system and that's why we we'll, we'll try to have to dive deeper into this inshallah today. Inshallah, inshallah. Well, with that said, uh, Dr. Najat, with her uh, background in clinical psychology, I thought it was best, we both thought it was best for her to be navigating this conversation while we kind of just share maybe uh, stories or situations that may have happened because we want to make sure that we're not just talking about things that you know we might know. We want to back it up with factual information. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Najat, so we're going to let you uh, kind of guide us through this show. Again, the topic is about suicide prevention and mental health in our communities. So however way you want to get this and, rolling. And just before Dr. Najat starts, I, normally in every public speech or lecture, we start with a why by. Why do you have to listen to this? Yeah. Many people will assume this doesn't have, doesn't relate to me. I, this is, I'm, I'm okay, my family is okay. And normally you, you always want to start with letting people appreciate the importance of this. I gave a khutbah last Friday in the ICD about Suicide Awareness Week, and some of my what I said was based on feedback from Dr. Najat and from others who are specialists in the field. And my job as an Imam is to package this message with the Islamic message, with a spiritual message. And one parent came to me after the khutbah; he lost his son to suicide. Allah uh, and he felt a lot of guilt because he has seen clear signs of depression. He there was many attempts from that kid. And the father said, he was crying, he was, he was torn, he was destroyed. He told me, I ignored all of these signs and I ignored the expert's advice. I felt this is all nonsense. This is a cloud that will go away. And his son, Allah told him, this is not a cloud, this is a consistent thing. And he simply ignored his son's cry for help and he ignored the expert advice. And he wishes he could, he basically wished that this khutbah was there when he needed it. And that's why my point is, uh, if you feel that this topic doesn't relate to you or you, nobody would benefit from this, please listen to Dr. Najat because many people could need this advice. And we're not talking to those who are depressed, we're talking to those who could be there for help. That's another misconception. Oh, I'm okay, no, but you might be, know somebody who might benefit from this. So that was a segue for you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Hakim. And just to piggyback on what Dr. Hakim said as far as why, why are we having this conversation today? I want everyone in the audience, including our, our hosts over here, um, to really just sit and reflect for one moment, please. If you have never in your life, if you've never in your life experienced a time or a stretch or a moment where you felt so hopeless, where you felt the world was so dark, where you felt that life will never ever get any better, then you can respectfully, and I would completely understand if you exit and walk away from this conversation. But if you have ever experienced a moment about in your life where you literally could feel your chest collapsing and thinking, oh my goodness, this is never going to get any better, then I urge you to tune in because it is people with those feelings who lack the coping skills to navigate those feelings who can reach a level where they go, you know what, I can't handle this anymore, and death is my way out. I have worked with severely mentally ill patients for six years now. I have worked in community mental health facilities. I have worked in university clinics. I have worked at 
two of the state psychiatric facilities, the only state psychiatric facilities fully psychiatric hospitals where the patients don't leave, where every single patient in the hospital are psychiatric inpatients. I have worked in private sectors at hospitals like Henry Ford Hospital. I have worked, I work for the federal government right now. I work at the Veterans Hospital, the VA, working with veterans. I've worked in the community with refugees um, from different war-torn Middle Eastern countries. When I tell you this is a universal, a universal experience and a universal pandemic, um, and I won't, I won't have to convince you. You just think about it. You or anyone you know, if you or anyone you know have ever hit rock bottom, I think it's important for you to hear this conversation, yeah. okay? And I think it's important for you to understand how important it is to have different perspectives today. Not only myself as a mental health professional, but also Dr. Hakim as an imam, as a religious leader, to bring in the Islamic perspective. It's not just modern psychology, it's also Islam. And what's most important is us to collaborate. These conversations are best when we all collaborate as a community to raise awareness. If we want to think about Islamically, dunya, what does dunya mean? Dunya is, is the bottom, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I tell many ind- Islamic individuals who come in, well, I worked at the Islamic Center of Detroit for a year, two years ago. And I had individuals who came in whose parents committed suicide, whose, whose um, child committed suicide whose other child is, 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 was on the verge. And I was coming in and that child, you know, was really struggling to hold on to their lives. So, uh, can you give us a ballpark estimate how many cases you have seen seeing a suicidal or a family of, a, of somebody who committed suicide? How many? Because people always assume this is rare, this doesn't, even this doesn't happen. And I personally, before experiencing two of my friends committing suicide, I thought this doesn't happen in the Muslim community. I thought the numbers are zero. It does. Um, let me preface this by saying that this is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. This is why we're having this conversation. And then I will also start by saying that Muslim Americans are two times more likely than the general population to attempt suicide. Wow. I want everyone to sit with that stat for just a moment. Yeah. Muslim Americans, your brothers and sisters, you, if you're a Muslim American, understand that your community, that your population, we as Muslim Americans are two times more likely to attempt suicide than the general population. I don't think anything else needs to be said after that mm-hmm. as far as this is not common, this doesn't happen to us. No. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a surprising stat. I didn't know that. Yep, it's um it's a set that came out. Um, NPR reported on it. Uh, Harvard Business reported on it, uh, just because it was affecting a lot of their local um, initiatives. So, in uh, anything that I state here, that anyone is interested in the resources or anyone is interested in the citations, feel free to leave a chat. I'm happy to send Ahmad and the team all of my resources after the fact. Okay, so anything I speak about um, that you're interested in learning more about, I'm happy to send. So that's one thing I really wanted to start to, to start off with. Um, the other thing I wanted to to really bring up is just stigma in our community. We stood like ten minutes trying to justify why we're having this conversation. Why did we have to take ten minutes at the beginning of the session session to convince you that it is important to have conversations about mental health? Because there's a stigma, right? There's a stigma in our community. They have mental health. What? No, no, that's not true. If, are you bleeding? Are you cutting? Can I see the bleed? No, no, it's in your head. No, that's not true. 
It's in your head. Suck it up. Can I take you to a medical doctor to fix it? No. No. You, okay, then it's in your head. How many of you grew up with parents like that? It's in your head. If I can't see it, if it's not an ailment, then, then it doesn't exist. It's in your head. I need you to go pray. That's a weakness of faith. I mean, what a way to shame someone, right? What a way to guilt trip someone. What a way to use religion as a means of, for manipulation. And I will turn around to turn to the imam for him to speak a little bit more about that. About, so I, I appreciate Najat's advice. So before I prepare a khutbah of sensitive topics such as mental health, I always try to consult with the experts such as Dr. Najat and also Sister Taqween. And before that, Sister Yusra, who was the founder of the My Mental Wellness. So basically the idea that I, I like to talk about the human self, the nafs. Very simple term. The nafs is the combination of the body and the soul, right? That's our Muslim paradigm of who we are, basically. And I'm going to give an engineering example. It's like our phones. Our phones, we have a hardware and software, right? The hardware is like the camera and the memory and the chips. All these are hardware. We have the software, which basically the, the how the apps talk to each other. So the nafs is similar. We have the body, we have the soul. The body is basically created from the ground, from the soil, from, from earth. And the soul is created from a divine breath. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala breathed into Adam to create what we know today as the nafs. So we cure the body by medication, by, by food, nutrition. And we cure the soul normally by the divine intervention from Allah, right? Dua, dhikr, salat. Normally, normally this is the conventional way of doing things. But sometimes you have ailments in the body alone or in the soul alone or in the connection between the two. And this is where we need to understand that sometimes of uh, malfunctioning of the, of the nafs is due to spiritual sources, which you tell the people, go pray, go fast, go increase your connection to Allah. But sometimes these disorders could be due to bodily, worldly, reason, materialistic reasons. Whether you need maybe medication, you need, you, you, or, or many times you need the intervention of the two. It's not either or. It's not only ruqya and only go make dua and uh, ask and pray more and you'll be fine. And many times it's not only curing the nafs by medications and, you know, uh, therapeutic sessions. You, you, need, you, need, you need both approaches. And that's what I appreciate by psychiatrists and psychotherapists and people in the clinical psychology field who are understanding the Muslim paradigm, which is very different from the secular paradigm. I know that's beyond the scope of this talk. But I believe that, simple terms, nafs is hardware and software. We need to understand how both align how both work together, uh, and it's not an either-or discussion. So when I go to a therapy session, I don't have to leave my Muslim paradigm or worldview behind. That, that's a problem when you go to somebody who doesn't believe in Islam and you try to ask them for a therapeutic, therapeutic session. This is where things can go wrong. I've mm -hmm. sat, sat with many uh, therapists who shared terrible stories about a non-Muslim psychiatrist, for example, somebody who doesn't understand the worldview at all, and they try to uninstall the software, the Muslim software, the operating system, which will have detrimental effect even on the mental health, on the well-being of the patient. Because this person believes in God, believes in the afterlife, and actually the true belief in God and the afterlife will really cure the person from their sources of illnesses. So for example, somebody shared this story about a person who committed suicide. He's a Muslim, but the person was saying, what are the reasons that affected the, their inclination towards suicide? There were two reasons. First of all, their self-confidence is destroyed. Like, there's no self-confidence whatsoever. But that's mainly because there's no Allah in the picture. The, he, that person thought he should do everything by himself, 
right? I'm, I'm going to interrupt Dr. Please. Hakeem by saying one thing clinically, because I can only awesome. speak clinically and look how beautifully it ties into Islamically, because that's not my field and this is not his. Clinically, one of the main indicators, the main risk, one of the main risk factors for suicide is a symptom of depression called hopelessness. Yeah. Hopelessness. And I think that speaks to what Dr. Hakim was saying as far as there is no God in the picture, right? Because if you have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you always have hope. Even when you're at rock bottom, yusra. Not even after difficulty there is ease. I used to think that's what the, the ayah meant until uh, this revelation hit me at the Isna yeah. Convention. No, it's with difficulty there is ease. Yeah. They come together, difficulty and ease, in order to get through something. So if Islam, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was truly in the picture, and again, I am not, I'm not speaking from uh, some type of professional experience or professional knowledge in, of Islam, but from what I learned from my teachers like Dr. Hakim and my other teachers at, at the ICD, is that you, know, you won't be hopeless if you have something to hang on to, if you have that spir spiritual connection. And actually, and this is crazy, and you know, I'm a scholar, so I'm going to back stuff up with research, um, one of the main buffers, and I'm happy to send the citation, empirical research now suggests that one of the main buffers against suicide is believing in God and is believing in a higher power, is believing in big brother, kind of giving all of yeah. my problems up to him. Delegating. It is now empirically proven that individuals who follow congregations who, who identify with a, a, an organized religion, a monotheistic religion, it actually serves as a buffer against suicide. So that's something that I kind of want to leave here before I structure the conversation in a way that would, that would be more palpable for, for the audience. So the ayah that confirms or that aligns with this reality is the ayah in Surah Al-Hashr, وَلَا تَكُونُوا كَالَّذِينَ نَسُوا اللَّهَ فَأَنْسَاهُمْ أَنفُسَهُمْ do not be like those who forgot about Allah. So they made them, they made, he made them forget about their own selves. So it's basically ignoring Allah, getting him out of the picture, and having a worldview with only dunya, dunya, and you know, without any attached to the divine creator, it's, it's problematic. We, we are programmed to have Allah in the picture. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. But, for did you want something to drink? Water, uh, coffee? Water is good. Water is good? Yeah. Okay, if you can get some water. Thanks. I just wanted to make sure because I... Uh, <laughs> It's important to have that too. Thank you. No problem. Um, yes, we all get thirsty when we talk uh, <laughs> okay. for uh, an extended amount of time. So uh, going back to what we were talking about, just about um, mental health, is th there's already a stigma in our community about mental health. And look, 10 years ago, it was much worse yeah. as far as the stigma. It's getting a little bit better. Is it still bad? Absolutely. Now imagine the stigma around suicide in the Muslim community, an even greater stigma. You know, Islam teaches us to value the human life. Islam teaches us that suicide is strictly prohibited. However, the reality is that many Muslims in this country and around the world experience depression, have suicidal ideations, have suicidal attempts and plans, and actually some of them are successful in completing their suicide mission. So this is not something that is rare to the Muslim community considering the fact that I stated earlier about how Muslim Americans are two times more likely to attempt suicide than the than the broader population. So we it is important to understand that when a suicide takes place in our community, it is important to understand that we have to take, number one, we have to take a biopsychosocial approach, like Dr. Hakim said, right? 
considering the biology, the physiology, the hardwiring of an individual, considering the, the current psyche of that individual, all right? And then considering the social, the environmental factors, the community, the support, lack yeah. thereof, etc. And it's important to then re also rely on Islamic fundamentals. So the biopsychosocial approach, you have the mental health, and then you have the Islamic fundamentals. That together will help you understand, paint a picture, and see where you can go as a community in order to even begin to digest an actual suicide happening in the community. There are a couple terms that I want to present to the audience before we continue. Otherwise, it'll it'll be a, a, a kind of difficult for everyone to stay on track with all these different terms. They can sometimes sound like jargon. I know this because I, I, I teach undergrads and sometimes they just stare at me with blank faces and almost, I can almost hear their eyes blinking and I'm like, I need to back off and reintroduce. So a um, couple, couple terms here. There's um, suicide prevention, right? There's suicide intervention and then there's suicide postvention. Okay. Suicide prevention refers to the actions that we are taking to stop a suicide from happening in the first place, okay? Prevention. Didn't happen yet. We don't want it to happen. What can we do to stop it from happening? Suicide intervention is quite simply damage control. Someone is actively suicidal. Someone has thoughts of killing themselves, an intent, a nia, a plan, a means, a loaded, whatever it is. Okay, we need to intervene. What can we do to stop this person from successfully executing? They're already actively suicidal. Suicide postvention. It happened already. Somebody took their own life. Okay. How do we even go about this? Hmm. How postvention is what can we implement to not only support the family, but to support the greater community? Why am I bringing up the greater community? Why would I care about the greater community when it's obviously the family who's suffering? Let me tell you why. We're bringing up the greater community because of two phenomena with suicide. Suicide contagion and suicide clusters. If you're a mental health student, if you're a student of mine that I mentor, or you're a student who's in interested in psychology, or, or you're someone in the community who's an activist, I urge you to write down and look up these, these terms afterwards. Suicide contagion and suicide clusters. Suicide contagion, think of contagious diseases, okay? Suicide contagion refers to this this odd phenomena that occurs where it's like individuals, once they hear about the suicide, they kind of relate to some of the pieces of that. They relate to that individual, whether Maybe it's their age group. Inspired, kind of. It could be inspired. They, 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 they feel like that some of those the stories related to them, they somehow map that story onto them. And it somehow increases their desire, their already built-in desire to commit suicide. It's contagious, right? The which, energy is contagious, and that, which suicide contagion then causes what? Suicide clusters. This is a phenomenon. I'm not. Look, I'm not making it up. You can look this up. When there is a suicide, and it spreads, the story spreads. There is a contagion. It, it's almost like a, a contagious disease. What happens is suicide clusters. Masses of people, groups of people, start committing suicide together. We had this. Uh Domino so, effect. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, a um, few years back, we had a teen in Hamtramck, unfortunately, going to suicide. And talking to friends, I think he was inspired by, I think, Robin Williams or some celebrity committed yes, suicide. Yes, and it probably. was a very sad moment that why we were not proactive as a community to go to that kid and make sure that to surround him with 
good role models who would present you know the holistic Muslim vision about suicide and unfortunately some of our youth they live on social media they these celebrities they are you mentioned about clusters these clusters could be online clusters doesn't have to be somebody in your direct vicinity in your direct zip code so yeah um, exactly and, and that's a, and that's a perfect example of suicide contagion right what did they do to Robin Williams' story? It was everywhere. It was sensationalized. Yeah. So great. So w- w- imagine this was at the local level where we're like, hey, let's let's be quiet about it. Imagine when it's national, international. It's Robin Williams. This is a Hollywood celebrity. You know, everyone remembers Mrs. Doubtfield. Mm-hmm. I mean, I cried when Robin Williams died. That was a very a huge part of our childhood. So imagine individuals who were so far out with their mental illness and it was so severe that they actually caught that contagious disease, that desire. They, 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 um, it's almost as if they identified a piece of a story. Then what happened? Clusters. So should we share the news of suicide or should we not share? I'm so glad that you're bringing this up because I'm actually going to bring up 10 do's and don'ts of what to do and not do when a suicide takes place. Before that, I know I, I asked that question, but you had the three, which is the prevention, intervention, and... Postvention. Okay. So on the prevention side, which I remember your comment to me was most of the Muslim or spiritual advice should be around the prevention. Yes. Because this is protecting the vast majority of the community. Um, on the prevention side, like for example, I know there is a hadith where Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, refused to pray the janazah on somebody who committed suicide. And that could be thought of as a, you know, a tough act of not showing any mercy. By the way, he asked the other companions to pray on him. So he, he asked them to pray on him. He was buried with the Muslims. He did not deny that the fact that this person is a believer. So, but at the same time, he did not want to pray on him. And people assume, oh, I can get a ticket to paradise by having the Prophet pay, pay, uh, pay on me. So that's kind of a, a, a harsh preventive measure that, hey, don't expect the Prophet to pray on you if you do this act. And I remember we had a suicide, a mental health or suicide, uh, mental health first aid uh, workshop at the ICD a few years back. And we had some facilitators from the Christian faith and they have a similar approach. They make sure that overemphasizing God's mercy in cases of suicide might give the wrong message that, yeah, go ahead, you can do it and we got your back. We're going to pray on you. Everything is going to be fine after. So what's, what are your thoughts on this, on this spiritual inter- attempt for intervention or prevention? Well, well, I know that might be a tough question. but Absolutely yeah. not a tough question. I'm smiling because it's part of my do's and don'ts. Okay, perfect. But then, then, <laughs> you want them to answer this question? I mean, is it something that we're allowed to share our opinion on? Or we, I don't want to make sure that we're allowed. I, I, Last I, I, I checked, I, you're the host. You yeah, own the yeah. show. No, I'm just saying because I don't want to say something that's like we're sharing our opinion on something. Not, that's not, not only that. It's an opinion, though. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah. not share it. But here's the thing. Okay. Here's the thing. We would love to hear from you. And you're giving a disclaimer that this is my opinion. Yeah. No. So what is wrong with that? I think this is a healthy conversation. And it goes back to speaking about we want collaboration. Speak to us. Yeah. Let us hear your perspectives. Then let it be shaped by mental health uh, professional advice and then by s- the spiritual advice. Yeah. But let us hear what your perspectives are. And we, we're, I guess that's what you guys can see us as like coming from the community perspective, right? We're, we're the community, I guess, in yeah. this conversation. Yeah. And I agree with that, uh, what, uh, what the Prophet Muhammad said uh, and did. Because I know that 
how people think, especially nowadays, right? Especially the younger generation who probably are suffering through mental health, you know, or suicide, uh, the most that they, you know, they would take something like that and use it for themselves. And they want, they want as a slightest yeah. of excuse to yeah. okay, let me do it. Exactly. I have this proof. Exactly. Actually, so, yeah. Taking the easy way out, but obviously it's it's not. It's what's ruining the community in a way. Mm. Allah, you mentioned this, uh, remember we had a few cases of suicide in Mecca where people would go to Hajj and they would go to the highest floor and they just throw themselves. We, it was considerable so much so that the Saudi government, they had, they had like high rails on the second and third floor of the Kaaba so that people, <laughs> and imagine, imagine how could people, and uh, many of these are probably ignorant about the faith completely, yeah. but imagine somebody saying, wanting to go there so that they commit suicide in Mecca, assuming that they, ha they will have a ticket to Jannah, exactly. Because yeah. you probably think that I'm at the holiest place. The holiest place, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, people are mentally ill too. Is they're not probably thinking the way I know a person that's. They they don't think like yeah. us. Cor correct, but they might. I I I've, I I'm assuming they are afraid of God. You know, they have. Yeah. They have. Uh, I don't know if they have still have God in the picture or not. That's something. You know, I was uh, kind of getting myself a little bit, my feet wet with the whole situation about suicide and reading a couple articles here and there. And what they emphasized was when a, when a person um, is attempting suicide or thinking about suicide, it's not about what they know, it's about what they feel. Mm. Good point. Good point. Beautiful. Um, um, I'm really, really glad I brought this up. It's not about what they know. I mean, this is not them being rational. Okay. Um, this is not rocket science. They're not rational. They're, try they're about to take, take their own life. There's nothing rational about their thought process right now. It's about what they feel. And what it's Im what's important for all of us to realize is that feelings and moods are fleeting. Moods are temporary in nature, right? You wake up in the morning. You might have you, you, sunny day. You might have happier thoughts, Right? You might be in a better mood, and therefore your, your thoughts are more positive. Later on that night, you know, going to sleep, reminiscing about every single thing that ever went wrong and how you fell in, in, in school and everyone made fun of you. Moods change. Ever been in a mood where you were in like a super, super, superb mood, and then, you know, you got into an argument with your sibling or with some random person, some random barista, just because there was a barista who was rude to me recently. Who <laughs> ruined my otherwise very happy mood. Um, but moods are fleeting. They change like this. Suicidal individuals, that's why it's so important to try to do damage control because it is, it is a fleeting state. You can intervene if you're in the right place at the right time with someone who's willing to open it up. You've built enough rapport. But it is based on their emotions because it's not, most definitely not based on logic, right? No one in their right healthy mind is going to go, mm, I think that the best way to fix this problem is to die. It's not rational. So it definitely is based on emotions. I, I have a question for that because I was having a conversation with someone uh, yesterday about this topic and they brought up a great point and not just committing suicide, how about even committing like homicide? You know, how does that relate to like mental health issues or mental health illness? And because I, I, again, my opinion, I personally feel like no one in the right state of mind would want to hurt someone else or kill someone else. 
if they are, you know, obviously their emotions are taking over them, right? But that's my opinion. I mean, I would say majority, majority of them hopefully are not in the right state of mind. I'm thinking because, you know, you shouldn't ever want to get to that certain extent. I'm going to respond to Amar, even though I, 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 I'm not about to open a can of worms. This is a huge topic for another day. But I will say this. I'm smiling because <laughs> I worked at an entirely state psychiatric hospital where every single patient there um, was in court-ruled NGI. Every single patient in my hospital was NGI, which means every single patient in my hospital went to court for a crime that they committed, rape, murder, kidnapping, sex trafficking, and every single patient in my hospital was ruled NGI not guilty for reason of insanity. So I have worked with entirely murderous criminal populations before. In fact, at one of the hospitals I worked at, one unit was specifically an all-male criminal sexual misconduct unit. So what I will say to this is, although I appreciate what I'm going to say where nobody in their right mind would commit these heinous acts, I will say this and I'll move back because it's going to deviate from our topic. I will say this. I urge you, individuals in the audience, to look up personality disorders. Okay, hmm. Specifically, specifically, and this is what you see the most prevalent in criminal populations, is to look up cluster B, what is known as the cluster B personality disorders. Although that was from the old DSM, we still use it. We call them cluster B because somehow those four personality disorders cluster in like one, one little area, mostly because they have a lot of things in common. They overlap a bit. Um, narcissistic personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, and borderline personality disorder. I urge you all to look that up if you're interested in homicide, you know, individuals, criminal, individuals with criminal backgrounds. Ted Bundy, and I'm going to go back because this is not our topic. Ted Bundy, I strongly believe he had elements, oh, he definitely had a personality disorder. But also he had either one personality disorder two personality disorders or, you know, features of one personality disorder and has the other personality disorder. But he definitely had features of both narcissistic personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder. Um, because one feature, one symptom, one feature of these disorders is the inability to feel empathy. Ted Bundy did not feel empathy, which is what allowed him to continue continue his serial tirade of murdering woman after woman after woman. There is a hard wiring, but this is a story for another day, where they have the inability to feel empathy, although that is not our topic. I know it's very interesting. I'm going to rewind and talk about the 10 do's and don'ts if a suicide already takes place, okay? So I'm going to start with the very, very first, um, the very first do and don't. My apologies, Ahmad. No, you're fine. Um, so the very first... Um, Action item on my list. When a suicide takes place in our community, it already happened, guys. Prevention is out of the way, right? Intervention is out of the way. Prevention is stop something from happening in the first place. Intervention, someone's active, actively suicidal, let's do damage control. Both of those are gone. It's postvention, right? What is the number one on the list? Do not, under any circumstance, sensationalize nor romanticize the actual suicide. 
right? So what does that mean? means don't talk about the nitty-gritty specifics of the events. How did he commit suicide? Share with me the suicide letter. What were the details leading up to it? Let's get caught up in the little bits and pieces. Why? Because the more you share, the more data you willfully bring forth to the community, the more other individuals who are going through some really tough patches in life will start identifying with aspects and pieces of the story or the letter or the means or the reason. It's going to cause what? What did we say earlier? Contagion. Suicide contagion and what? Cluster. And suicide clusters. These are the two things we're trying to, to avoid when we tell you, we urge you, do not sensationalize, do not romanticize a suicide, okay? Um, I'm going to bring up two very controversial, um, I'm going to bring up a controversial example, like suicide bombers. That can be very, very, you know, things like that. that those, are the, those, that could be suicide contagion, that could be suicide clusters, right? People can identify in whatever, the, whatever it is that they're believing in, whatever, that's not my religion, so I'm not sure what's going on there. But my point is that they can identify and start, you know, doing similar things. Or we can, or, or thinking about things like what we just talked about, Robin Williams, sensationalizing it, a national figure, a Hollywood figure. And what happens there, right? Uh, sometimes, the, Dr. Najat, sometimes people out of assumed superficial empathy, they start glamorizing the emotions that, for example, an activist, I, I remember when Black Lives Matter was a thing, you know, a few years back, some of these activists, they, have a, they take it at all upon themselves. They, they think that the whole world is, they have to carry it o- over their shoulders. And when they cannot take it anymore, they, 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 they end up doing this. And some posts, you see them popping up, like, you know, celebrating their life and their legacy. And oh, they, oh, they couldn't take it anymore because of their love to the cause, blah, blah, blah. And I think this is where it gets tricky that you don't want to celebrate anything. Like, we, have to, we have to keep the emphasis that this is, this is an act of not disbelief in Allah in a sense. He's not a kafir or she's not a kafira, but it is a cowardly exit of the world. They, people, they don't want to play the game of being a human in this world anymore. And again, this, this goes back, back, back in, aligned with, with what you were saying. I think, yeah. I agree, and, and, and not to seem um, emotionless, but to the activists who think that somehow the, the, the entire world falls on their shoulders, um, I will have them know that's exactly what Hitler thought, and we all saw what happened there with the rise of the Nazi party and the subsequent crash. But, you know, there is a healthy way to be an activist and who better to speak about this than Dr. Hakim. He literally has a book, look it up on Amazon. I'm actually reading as part of my book club. Well, part of Isa Gharib's book club that I'm a part of. Shameless but it's um, Shameless plug, but it's uh, it's shameless plug for my teacher and my mentor. Um, but it's a on Amazon, it's 40 hadiths on community service and activism literally written for individuals like us, individuals like myself, um, who are really trying to be activists, who are balancing both the activism piece, but also the spiritual piece, guided by the seerah of the Prophet, guided by the, the stories of the Khulafa. There's actually the a chapter about self-care. So that's, that's where... That's and that's where exactly. Yeah. And actually, subhanAllah, that you said that because I was going to say those individuals who couldn't handle anymore after doing so much great things, and I'm sure they did fantastic things. Those activists were doing fantastic things before they decided to end their life. Why did they end their life? They did not have work-life balance. They, Burnout, they yeah. did not 
they could not self-regulate their emotions. And I'm not going to speak to the Islamic perspective on this, but I will say that that self-care is very important. Self-care is something that I preach. Self-care is something that I can that I talk about. But Islamically, if if I'm not mistaken, there were activists in the community who were going through that, going through that route in, in the times of the Prophet. Like one of them was like, "Oh, I don't have time to get married because I'm trying to do this." And one one goes, "Well, I'm not have time to do anything else because all I'm going to do is pray until I die, and I'm not doing anything. I'm not going to eat, drink, whatever." And I remember the Prophet going something along the lines of, "You guys need some balance." Because this is not Islam. Yeah, and sometimes we always assume self-care is a is a, is a self, you know, uh, narcissistic or self-centered uh, act, and we think that it's, Islam is all about putting others first. And yes, you should put others first, but you should put put others first so that you gain the positive spiritual reward in the dunya and the akhirah. So it's it's actually about me. Uh, the, the Quran. Allah always says, "Ya nara." Believers protect yourselves and your family from the fire. This is to the mothers who always put their kids before themselves, to the fathers who live. They tell you, "I'm living for my children." And this is an unhealthy attachment to the children. Uh, that hey, uh, if anything bad happens to that child, you know, you know, the father is destroyed or the mother is destroyed, or when they, the, when the, when the, when the children get married, uh, you know, the parents are in, sh- you know, life is shattered because. They were so attached to their children. In Islam, you have to protect yourself first. You have to feed yourself spiritually. Make sure that you are selfish in a good way, in a positive way. Allah yeah. Allah. I always say you can't pour into anyone else's cup unless your cup is full. So. 100%. Right. 100%. I, I love the um, a great, great insight. And I think this is a good time right here to also uh, mention, first of all, that if you want to call in, I know I know there are people watching and um, probably enjoying this conversation because you probably wouldn't be watching if you weren't. Uh, the number is 313-306-1750. Again, the number is 313-306-1750. And also, shout out to our sponsors. Of course, you got Hanley International Academy, Kahwa House, you got BC Adhesives. You heard them earlier, and now we're going to run the Balkan House Restaurant. So, Yusuf, if you could get the Balkan House Restaurant going, and then we will get back to this conversation. The Balkan House Restaurant. The Balkan House restaurant is famous for their donut kebab sandwich. But did you know that the Balkan House now serves breakfast? Did you also know that all their food is 100% halal? The Balkan House now also have two food trucks. So you can book your next party or event with the Balkan House on wheels. Their Hamtramck location is 3028 Kniff Street, Hamtramck, Michigan. Their Ferndale location is 314 West Namal Road, Ferndale, Michigan. Again, you can book their food trucks for your next party or event. So if you're looking for a nice place to eat with friendly service and great prices, look no further than the Balkan House restaurants. To you guys. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so I guess, Dr. Najat, you want to continue on uh, with your do's and don'ts? Yep. So um, so like we said with number one, right, do's, uh, do not do not sensationalize or romanticize um, uh, the suicide and like, what are some action items for that? Like, don't be reposting or discussing the specific suicide note. Don't be sharing the specific details to the case. Don't discuss the victim's specific circumstances. Don't rem- romanticize the death as a solution to what he or she was going through. Why? Again, because people who are struggling might identify, like we said, the suicide contagions and suicide clusters. So moving on to number two. Do not speculate or dwell on specifics, the specifics of the case. So this is a tragedy, right? 
suicide is an immense tragedy in, in, in our community. People are going to suffer. So um, don't try to make sense of it. It already happened, right? Don't try to be diagnosing. You, you only have a fraction of the details, right? You, you, you don't know what was going on in that individual's life or that individual's head or in that individual's home or in that individual's social support circle or in that individual's hardwiring like we just finished talking about personality disorders. Uh, you don't know what was going on. So please don't dwell on the specifics. It's not healthy. It's not helpful. Um, and it's, it's, it just does more harm than good. And I will, and I will defer to Dr., um, Dr. Hakim on this as far as people who are – just speak things for the sake of speaking them and not really kind of focusing on a positive. Like, you know, for example, I'm going to speak about these rumors that I heard. For what? What's the reason for it? What is, what is, what is your intention behind this? Is it meant to help at all? Isn't it better to just be quiet? I think exactly. Sometimes the best, the best solution is to stay quiet. But I, uh, my question here, and maybe you have it and you don't, as a parent, I will be concerned. Sometimes me trying to analyze things is to see if my son or daughter has, Allah, God forbid, um, some of these. So, so sometimes the attempt to overanalyze is driven by some people concerned. You know, so like trigger warnings for you trigger and your warnings, own family yeah. to make sure, like, if, are they going through the same thing? Or should I notice this in my child? Or should I, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like I get what you're trying to say, too. Because mm-hmm. I myself have a 12-year-old son, so. So maybe you will mention this in some of your. And I'll, I'll, yes, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was going to just say, are there trigger warnings? Like, can we go over some of those trigger warnings that maybe you can see in, in people? So, um so you guys are specifically asking about signs. What yes. are the signs? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. What are the risk factors, yeah. etc.? So I'm going to address Dr. Hakim's. Um, I'm going to address Dr. Hakim's uh, comments first, and then we can talk about the risk factors at the very end, along with the resources. Okay. So mm-hmm. we'll get back to that. Just so I'm like organizing yeah. it in my head. So for for Dr. Hakim, when he goes, you know, if I'm going to dwell and I'm going to dwell on the specifics, it's because I'm concerned parents. Well. This is a great time as a parent to have a group conversation with your children, with your family, and just check and see how everyone's doing. How are you? Yeah. W- without, without bringing up specific details about anyone else's case, how are you? You know, how can I, well, how can I help you? Uh, are you going through anything that you're not telling me about? Um, is there anything that you want to you want you want to speak with me about? Look, here's an open door. We have an open door policy. We have an open door relationship between myself and you, my, me and my child. You have open door policy where you can come to me with anything, where I am truly somebody that you can go to when you're, when you're not feeling well, when you're hitting rock bottom. Let's, let's be real. In this community, that is lacking. 100%. When immigrant children in our community are hitting rock bottom, I won't say everyone, but the vast majority of the people I knew are not going to their parents. No. Either they don't understand me, either they're not acculturated, Either they won't, they, won't, they, they won't possibly comprehend, either they'll make fun of me, they'll invalidate me. Why? Hmm. Have healthy, meaningful conversations with your children, with your siblings, with your spouses. Communicate. Yeah. Right? The Prophet Muhammad, so one of my, my teacher, my mentor, Sheikh Mohammed al-Masmari actually told me I was having this conversation with him about suicide. Shout out to my mentor. Um, and he told me specifically, he said, Najat, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, 
he, he told Aisha and I can't quote I mean he, no. he has everything memorized in his head I can't I can't quote that but he said something like the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, used to recognize he's like I know when you're happy and I know when you're upset even when she doesn't verbalize it he was so attuned to her to the emotional cues to her body language to her face expression that he can tell when she's upset even when she does not speak how many of us walk into our home and are really that observant? Now, I don't have children, but if I did, I'd probably be scanning <laughs> any of his expression. No. <laughs> but like, so, you know, so, it's easy so, for me to say. So we're talking about if, even, the, the, even the least amount of empathy and being aware of your, the emotions inside your house, you feel that our communities are lacking this. Communication, kind of, 100%. No, no. The family dynamic, the, the family system, absolutely. And that's a whole show for another day. Yeah, I have so much comment on this, but yeah, yeah go ahead, sorry. Uh, that's why I feel like it's also very important for like teachers to notice things about their students, you know, not only just academically, but, you know, emotionally, all that good stuff. And it's, it's also another good thing to have um, teachers that look like the students as well, that can understand where the student is coming from. Right. And not look at the student like, oh my God, I'm so so sorry that you have to go through that and no. I know myself growing up when I used to try to go to my teachers they were not you know Muslim teachers so to them it was like out of, I was embarrassed to even talk to them about it you know no. so just having if you don't have your parents finding someone that you can actually go and talk I, to I know we have eight more steps that's why I'm gonna give the quick Muslim or Quran commentary on this please every parent should be as accessible as Yaqub when Yusuf had a dream he found it so easy to go access his dad. Dad, I saw a dream. And Allah in the Quran recorded that dream and that snapshot of the son talking to his father. And the dad validated his feelings. He had this open access to his father anytime to speak about even quote-unquote insignificant things such as a dream. So I think parents have to have a lot to learn from this. Number Absolutely. three. Bismillah. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I have so much to say on this, but really I want to contain my excitement. So that we, yeah. Me too. I feel like we can just like veer off and like start. Each on one show. is like a, another show. Exactly. Itself. Yeah. It it really is. Um, and unfortunately, it's because there's so much to unpack with this. And I just want to comment on something Abir said. Oh, it's so important. Um, you know, for people to have teachers that look like them, or for the that is why. I mean, no one's joking when they say it takes a whole village to raise a child. Mm. I mean, this is not a shallow statement. This is a very profound statement because it's true, right? It does take a whole village to raise a child. All hands on deck. And not just teachers that look like them, but like mental health professionals that look like them. 100%. You know, can yeah. you imagine? I've had, I've had friends, I've had little girls in the community that I mentor, and I mentor quite a few, who go, but I, I went to this therapist and, and she just made me feel stupid. Or I felt like me and her were not on the same page. Well, what was her, what was her ethnicity? What was her race? Like, did she relate to you at all? No, she, she didn't look like she understood. I stopped going to therapy after that. It's been years. And I can really shun someone away. Same thing with Abir. I don't know what your experience was and how much you talked to teachers, but there, there was a, there's a possibility where that could have been like your deterrence. Like, gosh, I can't speak to my parents because they're not going to understand mm -hmm. me. And this teacher looked at me like I was crazy. Man, I really am alone. No. We really don't want to continue the isolation piece because that's, that's, that's a huge risk factor where someone just begins to be isolated from the world. And we, we said we we're going to talk about risk factors at the very end here. So let me move <laughs> swiftly on. So number three, the don't. There's do's at the end, I promise. But right now we're going to focus on the don'ts. I'm not just being like, you know, Debbie Downer here. But um, don't speculate on the spiritual implications. For heaven's sake, do not speculate. Like, 
Oh my God. So kill themselves. So now what? Jahannam? Like, I want to know something. Who does this benefit? Like, like, how is this supposed to benefit anybody as far as the collective healing? No. The emphasis after something, a suicide happens, is should be an emphasis on healing, on hope, on support, on how can we be there for each other. There should be no emphasis, no conversation, no side conversation, um, some type of morally loaded language like, but they committed suicide and that's haram, so jahannam. I don't see any benefit in that. Last I checked, you don't have d divinity running through your blood. You have no authority to speak like this. You don't know other people's circumstances. So, you know, what does is, what is the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi is, is the best, if you don't have anything to say, remain silent? Or is this like an, an American etiquette? I'm not it's no, forgetting. It's definitely a hadith. The other comment is that we, 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 we differentiate between, we don't judge the person, we judge the act. I think that's important. Uh, I know it's people like to, co to just join the two together. But we, we, our really our uh, our goal is we leave them up to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. We do have some hadith that we mentioned in the foot in the footprint, you know, that about a Sahabi who committed suicide and he ended up in Jannah because of a major good deed they have committed, right? So of course we don't mention this hadith on the first <laughs> hadith of the forty, you know. It's it's uh, but we they should they could be forgiven by Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. There is still room for forgiveness for that specific person. So that why we leave there situation up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala while mentioning big disclaimers about the future. The future is this is an act that leads to the fire. That And I think having the nuances is very important and people don't like nuances. They, they like generalizing. <laughs> Jannah or fire, black or white. <laughs> so. Yes, I was getting ready to say people love black and white thinking in Islam and no. actually mental health and actually life is the gray area. <laughs> it's no. never black and white, really. Um, number four, do not attempt to diagnose the individual. Mm -hmm. Okay, we just finished saying the gray area. Do, the mental health field is a vast field. Emotions are very complex. There is a biopsychosocial approach in and of itself to tr attempt to understand human behavior and it's ever evolving. Then there's a layer of spirituality if you believe in, in, in a monotheistic faith or a deity. It is such a complex situation that the I'm going to say the common folk, and even if it's a mental health professional, and even if it's a spiritual leader, what data do you have when you're attempting to diagnose? If I heard of, of, of a suicide that happened, somebody comes to me, but I'm a mental health professional, I understand, I, 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 but I'm not all-knowing. It's not like I know the case. I don't know the details. I don't know the specifics. I don't know the, the, these people's hardwirings. I don't know their situation. What is the point in diagnosing? You're wrong. Whatever it is, they're probably really, really depressed. They probably had major depressive disorder. I heard that once in a show. Apparently this makes, no, actually. Um, there are so many different variations to major depressive disorder. Major depressive disorder in and of itself break down, breaks down to so many different sub-disorders um, in the DSM. You know, these could have been individuals that went through psychotic breaks, right? On the schizophrenia spectrum. They could have been actively psychotic. These are individuals who could have been depressed with psychotic features. These are individuals who could have been suffering from bipolar disorder. Dr. Najat, can I disagree here for a second? And sure. I, I, I agree with the statement, but let me tell you what can happen to the average folks because people can easily misunderstand any message. People misunderstood me a lot. With, <laughs> and they, they, they. So the problem is the more we make this a black box with no way of knowing, of opening the hood and understanding even the trends, the more people will be concerned. 
right? So I, I get what you're saying, but I just want, when we talk about the do's and the don'ts, I, I want people, like, people would like to help some general un- advice what not to do. For, for example, uh, should I give my kids a phone or not give a, my kids a phone? Maybe the social media could have been part of this. So I'm, n- I'm not disagreeing with what you said, but always the do's and the don'ts should need some, um, some, general, some general understanding so that we have, we contain that domino, you know, we contain these clusters. So just just to get completely out of people, okay, I, I think that sometimes it may not serve the purpose. What, what do you think? Um, I'm just going to re-preface what these do's and don'ts are. Okay. I think that'll help. Yeah. These do's and don'ts are immediately following a suicide. Okay. From an emotional reactionary. Yeah. Yes. Um. This is t- uh, these are the do's and don'ts. This is not just generally speaking, all right? No. These are the do's and don'ts following a literal suicide that just happened. What is the most healthy way to proceed? Now, this is separate from psychoeducation at a different time, psychoeducation for parents and families about the trends, about who's, who's diagnosed, who has a higher risk as far as their diagnosis, about you know, the, the different risk factors, about what, what are the, the, the signs that we can identify in children and adolescents, adults. This is, complete, this is a completely different topic. So I want to preface this because thank you so much, Dr. Hakim. I want to make sure that the, the audience as well is not misunderstanding this. These are the do's and don'ts specifically after an immediate suicide has happened. No, no. Does that help at all? Um, 100%. Okay. Number five. Okay. Um, Dr. Hakim is like on point. Because He's like, Najat, please, I'm checking the time. So, do's. So, what to say and not to say when consoling someone who is grieving, right? Mm-hmm. Someone just committed suicide, mm-hmm. right? What to say and not to say. Like, one thing not to say is like, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know if they're going to, they mean they committed suicide. I don't know if they're going to go to heaven. Like, thanks so much. Um, that didn't help anyone. So, I'm going to start with, I actually compiled some statements. Here are some things you do say. Again, I want to emphasize these are, thing, these are things that you do say. If somebody wants to jot these stuff down, feel free. I can't imagine what you're going through, but I'm here for you, right? You're not trying to paint the picture. You're not trying to put words in their mouth. You're not trying to try to act like you understand what they're going through. I can't imagine what you're going through, but I'm here for you. Another thing you can say is, I wanted to let you know that I'm someone you can reach out to if you need, because those people might not be prepared to speak at that moment. The original shell shock, right? Another thing, I know there are no words that can heal your pain, but I want you to know that you're in my thoughts. Right? Can you tell it's all about support and hope? And I'm here for you. And, you know, agencies in your hands. Reach out when you can, etc. <clears throat> I know there's nothing I can do to lessen your pain. But if there's any way that I can support you during this time, please let me know. Again, just different variations here with similar messages. I am here for you. All of it was just like, here I am, whatever it is that you need. Can't imagine what this gray area is for you right now. But just remember that you can hold on to someone. I'm here and I'm accessible. I think this goes to the human being versus human doing. You don't have to do anything. You just have to be there. Mm, I like that. Beautiful. Yeah. And you just have to be there. And you, you have to let them know that you're there. Yeah. It's not important to just be there quietly. Hey, I'm here for you. A lot of people are so scared to console someone because they're like, they're scared of what happened. 
but it's, it, it, can, it, it's, it goes a long way to just say, hey, I'm here for you. Here are things that you don't say, and this is really what I want to emphasize, especially in our community. Write this down, audience, if you need to. They're in a better place now. This somehow implies that like suicide is a solution to reach better, higher places. Goes right back to what Dr. Hakim said. You know, like you, you, the, the Prophet made an example not because he didn't have rahma or compassion, but because he didn't want there to be contagion to, for people to think. No. I mean, the Prophet's wisdom was timeless. He was trying to make a statement, but it was meant to, to help the masses, right? They're in a better place now is, is not something that you want to say. Again, you're implying that suicide is a solution to reach a better place. And it can make it seem like it's more of an option for anyone who could who is suicidal. Again, speaking to that contagion of clusters. Another thing that you do not want to say. I'm sure they loved you very much. Please don't try to speak to their emotional experience. Not right now. These are individuals who are now going to be consumed with guilt. They're going to be consumed with shame. They're going to, they're going to be consumed with all kinds of emotions. The thoughts in their heads could be, they love me so much and why did they... No. You can't imagine. I've seen this. I've seen this play out now in more severe psychiatric patients. I've never seen it play out well. Their suffering is over. You do not want to say that. I mean, this really implies that the loved one, you know, was in a bad place while alive and that suicide somehow helped them become in a better place. Because there was no other way to cope with their pain. So look, their their, their suffering is over now. You know, that's something that Allah, my grandfather, when he died of cancer, I remember my mother. I remember people telling my mother, he's in a better place. His pain is over. And she agreed because he was in a lot of pain. This is something, someone who had visibly pain and he was connected to Allah. And we, we have evidence to say that cancer and al-humma in general, it's a form of shahada. He was a martyr, basically. So, yeah, but it doesn't apply on other cases such as suicide. Sahih. Yeah. Sahih. And it's again, you're, you're again with the, with the lens of suicide contagion, right? Suicide clusters. We're not trying to, the last thing you don't want to say is, ah, you know, I'm not sure if they'll go to heaven. Leave the judgment to God, you know? Mm-hmm. Focus on how you can support these individuals, not how you can, you know, try to be the, the ultimate judge of where their, whoever it is, their loved one is going to, is going to end up. Unhelpful, okay? Number six. Please don't blame each other and don't blame yourself. I know this is very simple. I don't even know. I don't even think anyone needs to elaborate. We're going to elaborate anyway. Please don't blame each other. Uh, you know, um, these community leaders should have done better by bringing programs. Uh, well, that family could have been more supportive to their child. Well, that teacher should have noted the warning signs. Well, that school counselor should have been paying attention to all their students. Who is this helping? I, I remember the father that who lost his son. He was consumed by guilt. And I told him, Normally, guilt is a good feeling, like a nafs al-lawama, to correct your behavior about something in the future. If I am missing my salat, for example, if I'm not doing my spiritual you know, duties, then I need some guilt to get me over. I told him, there's guilt in your case, and hey, I'm not a psychiatrist or a cell therapist, but I use the example, it's becoming a monster, and this monster is killing you for no reason. And I told him, this is where, whenever we reflect on the past, this is where we need the hadith, uh, don't say law. Because what if Taftah Amal al-Shaytan? This is, it's really, I, I saw that person 
maybe he was relieved when he said, okay, this what if, this reflection on the past should end. It, it was a vicious cycle, he could not get over it. And honestly, even when, I, when two, two of my friends committed suicide, I started being guilty myself, although I had very little relationship with them. So I can only imagine how much guilt is present in every family, for ev with every parent, with every spouse. As you said, it's not helping at all. It's it's not helping at all. And, I, and he's, he's saying the what if. I'm going to just translate it to, to, to them in, in, in our generation's lingo. Shoulda, woulda, coulda, never helped anyone. Right? Shoulda, shoulda done this. Yeah. Would've done this. Could've done this. Who has that ever helped? Yeah. Which time has she never popped up so you can go back in time? And, and, and shoulda, woulda, coulda fixed that, whatever it is. Yeah. It's not helpful. The focus, again, should be on grieving and healing. Not blaming. Grieving, healing, learning from mistakes, collaborating, adjusting, preventing. Bingo. Yeah. A plus for Abia. <laughs> I'm trying. No, I so. love how every single time you say something that we shouldn't do, you, you always say, who is the helping? So now, when you guys want to do something, Make ask country. yourself before, who is this really helping? Right. You know? So. Exactly. No. Um, moving on to number seven. Do. So here's another do. Do process emotions. It's going to take a long time to process a suicide, especially immediately following a suicide. So we're emotional people, right? You know, our, our, our lives are marked by sadness, happiness, laughter, ups and downs, moods. We talked about how moods are fleeting, how moods are temporary. They come and go. It's important for us to process emotions and make space for others to process their emotions, right? The, the comments that we said that you can tell someone who's grieving, I'm here for you when you're ready to speak. Let them come to you at their own time and let them process. Let them speak and just be supportive. You're not a mental health professional, fine. You're not an imam, fine. You're still human. You still have compassion. You know, Ahmed was like, um, I don't know if I should speak about this. Definitely speak about this. But also, uh, you know, you're compassionate people. It could be a buffer. Let people know that you're there for them. I read somewhere, and I could be completely off with this, Dr. Hakim. Thank God you're here. I read somewhere that somewhere in, in, Islamic, in Islamic tradition, something said something along the lines of, if people just sat, spoke with each other and really kind of were there for each other and, and, and had conversations with each other that were meaningful and, 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 and palpable and deep, that there would be, there'd be much less depression and isolation and, and, and social exclusion and, and, and shame, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it, I mean, think about it. How many times have you gone through something in your life, and nobody has to say anything, how many times have you gone through something in your life that was so deep that, that hit you in the pit of your stomach? And instead of confronting that emotion or that situation, you drowned yourself in work or in school or you distracted yourself with something else or you got busy or you focused on something else and you thought that was you addressing the situation. No, that's avoidance. And avoidance will come back to haunt you because those dormant emotions will come back and manifest in different ways. That can be another show. We can't go into that much detail. Um, just Dr. just the idea that comments? when the Prophet ﷺ lost his son Ibrahim, and we mentioned we mentioned this in the khutbah, that he was he made sure to mention, to express, to vent out his emotions, and he said, again, that's a society that assumes men to be tough, to be you know more manly, not to talk, not to cry. And he said the famous hadith: the eyes are shedding tree, uh, tears, and the heart is filled with sorrow. But we only say that which pleases our Lord. 
We are saddened for your loss, Ya Ibrahim. So he, it, it was a, it was a, he was a prophet who spoke to angels, who got revelation, but still his, he lived the full human experience. And I, I believe that sometimes we think that it is manly or it, is, it befits us as believers not to express our emotions. While at the same time, we, you want to make sure that these emotions are tied, you know, they are tamed. You don't express them. You don't say anything that comes to mind. You, you want to you wanna surrender and submit to the will of God, basically. And again, these are too, too hard, you know, uh, contradictions to, to suppress within a human heart. But that's why we're here for each other. We're here to, to share these emotional experiences and um, expressions. Sorry. Sorry. Um, and number eight, kind of just going along, do reach out to each other and check in on each other. And, and I'm, and I'm going to breeze by this. And I'm saying check in consistently, right? Both in the short term and in the long term. All right. Um, it's not enough to just check in one day, two days. And then, you know, these individuals are still living with it day in and day out, day in and day out. So it, it, it can go a long way for you to just, um, you never know how much of an impact you can make on somebody. Just letting them know that there's an avenue to reach you, both in the short term or in the long term. There are stages to grief. Denial is one of the stages. They will eventually get over that stage. They will need support. So checking in with those messages and those statements that I, the, the, the statements, the do's, feel free to do so. Um, and I encourage you to do so. Number nine, do identify ways for community members to seek religious and professional support. Religious and professional support. The Islamic Center of Detroit has a mental health department. There are ways in which we can connect you. Um, you know, there are community leaders, activists out there. I have a social media account. Dr. Hakim has a social media account. I have individuals flooding my DMs where I'm trying to like, you know, um, find avenues and ways in, 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 to, to support them and, in, and send them resources. But please um, feel free to reach out. You're not drowning us. I mean, look, we're exhausted. I'm not going to don't don't get me wrong, but. This is why we do what we do. We do what we do because we care, because we want to. And, and, and something, Najat, something, uh, people come to me and say, oh, sorry, I know you're busy, so I don't want to disturb you. But then it's, a, it's something of higher importance. I tell him, bro, I'm actually giving the lecture as a general education, as a segue so that people come to me with these specific questions. Mm -hmm. These specific questions are actually more important. We have some evidence where the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi stopped the khutbah came down to answer someone's question who was asking about Islam. You know, and he, he made him take his shahada and then he continued the khutbah. Sometimes the idea that the, 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 the community is more important than the individual is not true. Sometimes I'm willing to literally get out of my way to help a brother or a sister. And again, my job is not necessarily, I'm not going to give you 20 hours of my time. I'm a first responder and then I will connect you to the specialist. Because we, so yeah, so I always have, I'm so busy. Yes, I understand, but I always have time for those who might need. Can I just say something? I think that's very important that you say that because uh, just for answers, I guess for a lot of things, right? A lot of people want answers to certain things. And to me, me personally, at least I'm speaking for myself, like I would want it to be a religious answer because no. I, I value that as my top priority, right? That's my number one, you know. So putting yourself out there and, and letting people know, you know, growing up, you know, I, I respect the MMs that were in my community, but I never got a one-on-one -on -one conversation no. with them. I didn't feel comfortable having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with them because, mm -hmm. you know, just what it was, right? So I think, you know, putting yourself out there is important. I think other religious leaders and just leaders of the community, but in this aspect, religious leaders should put themselves out there more and making it 
easy for other people to come talk to them? Like, yeah. is there like a set time period that you have? So I, ideally, we need office hours. Ideally, okay. Yeah, I word, but I, I, most religious people are freelance imams who are don't operate in a certain physical location. But let me tell you something. Most of the mashaykh I know, even the ones that Omar, you think that they are not available, they are available. But the the ecosystem, there is no the networking part is is missing. Uh, we don't have the right resources maybe. We don't work, not all of them work in the same location. They jump around between masjid, between community. So uh, in theory, everyone is the available. And uh, sometimes um, we just have to provide the platforms, such as your platform. So technically, you are providing the, the, same, the solution to the same problem that you suffered from growing up. Alhamdulillah. That, that was one of my, Alhamdulillah, like, that was a big goal of mine was I know what probably other people are going through. No, no. And thank you to Najat as well for help in making this happen. So yeah, and, and, and alhamdulillah, I, I had some uh, some brave men, young men and women who would reach out. Some of them would DM. Some of them would call from an unknown number just to, to ask for help in a certain situation. We try to route them. Unfortunately, there is no. Sometimes they wouldn't follow up. Maybe because I gave the bad advice. I don't know. <laughs> but sometimes because again the system, the the tool, the platform. We have social media tools that enabled a lot of conversations. Good, the good and the bad. But we need to enable more counseling, facilitate more counseling sessions. I know my mental wellness, you guys are flooded with huge wait lists. And I mean, it, I'm not a, I'm not uh, a part not of it. Not anymore, but when you were part of it. Definitely. And, yeah. and like Dr. Hakim, I will say I get the same thing. I know you're busy, but... And it's always like something where I'm like, oh my goodness, I need to stop what I'm doing here. And and, and just, just to be clear, and I know we're like out of time here, but just to be clear, um, activists in the community, myself, Dr. Hakim, if it's a tragedy, we will stop what we are doing. Even if it's it's we're free, you know, we're, we don't have set office hours or whatever. We will stop what we are doing to address the tragedy in the community. Or, or we will try. Or, or if it's a precursor to a tragedy. Or a precursor <laughs> to the tragedy. You know, you know what yeah. I mean? Because that's what we want to do, right? Prevention, but we'll also be there. So even if I, if my day takes a hit, my week takes a hit because I'm so behind now. But I know I was serving the community, and I know serving people that were in need who had hit rock bottom, right? Because our our community needed support at the time. So feel free to reach out. I tell people, don't worry about me being busy. Now, don't get me wrong. It might take me a while to respond, especially if it's not like, but I will respond. Like, that's the thing. I will respond. Um, I just will probably respond to like an active suicidal faster than I will respond to somebody who needs to talk over something else, like college advice, for example. Um, So it ranges. So, um, So again, it's important for religious and mental health professionals kind of to work together with government officials, with the greater community. I mean, all hands on deck. Right to, to to really kind of promote this this uh, this healthy um, th- this healthy environment where we can live and thrive and grow and have you know a peace of mind and and, and, and better quality of life. And then the last game, last thing is, and I urge each and every single one of you to really kind of sta- staple this in your head as like some kind of motto. All right, when it comes to suicide, remember that suicide is preventable. Right, mental illness is treatable. In these times, these tragedies, they are surmountable. We will get over them. Okay? Ment- suicide, preventable. Mental illness, treatable. These tragedies, we will get over them together. Learn from them. And hopefully use those painful experiences to try to stop the next tragedy. But it's so important for us to be active community members, not bystanders, upstanders, not just for bullying, everywhere. You know, 
just being there, just being supportive. And kind of just the concluding remarks that any death in our community has the potential, right, obviously to really, really affect us in many ways. Um, but again, we have to focus on the grieving process. We have to focus on support. We have, we have to focus on consoling. We have to focus on being there for each other, not blaming. We have to focus on the greater picture, right? Um, not specifics. We have to focus on, okay, we, we have a tragedy. We ain't trying to cause more tragedies with these domino effect with the, with the suicide contagion and suicide clusters, right? And we also have to remember we have resources, all right? The resources are not invisible. There's, they're, they're not, there's not a lack, well, definitely a lack of resources, but there are resources available, yeah. right? So, so some of the resources, you're ever having an issue um, where you or someone you, you, you know are trying to, harm, uh, trying to harm themselves, have thoughts of killing themselves, 911. Call 911, right? Another thing, the new suicide hotline. New suicide hotline, 988-988-247. Call or text, 988, right? We have the Nasiha Muslim Mental Health Hotline. The Nasiha Muslim Mental Health Hotline, one 627 3342 Again, that number is one 627 3342 Available 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. That's specific standard time, by the way. Um, there's the Amala Muslim Youth Hope Line. That number is one 952 6252 All of these, all this information, which I will send to Omar and the team. Um, there are specific websites where you can find a Muslim mental health provider in your area, all right? Specific websites, or if you're not Muslim and you're tuning in, specific websites for you to check in if you want a Christian provider, if you want a specific provider who's just a, um, a female only, whatever the case may be. Yeah. There are ways to filter. There are resources. There are informational toolkits, general information, risk factors, um, how to, you know, how to spot, the, what are the warning signs, um, whatever the case may be for parents or whatnot. There's, there's info, the FYI.org slash toolkits has really great toolkits that I urge you to check on. Um, you know, there's access to the Muslim suicide response training and ma manual at maristan.org. There's even, there's even a literal, um, an imam guide for suicide postvention khutbah guide. Mm -hmm. I'm going to send that over to you. Suicide postvention khutbah guide for imams created specifically for imams out of Stanford. So there are resources available to us. Are they enough? Absolutely not. Is the, is the need greater than the resources? Absolutely. But working together, can we at least make this a bit better, the gap between the need and the resources a bit more narrow? Sure. But we need everyone's hands on deck. We have... Uh, and it starts at home. We have a mental and health first aid uh, workshop in the ICD. This, yes, there, this week, this uh, weekend. Yes, and I urge people to come. And I, I, I mean, think we can we'll stop here. Can send the link yeah, and I think we'll stop here. There is a mental health first aid workshop coming up that teaches you how to address somebody who's going through a crisis. Mm -hmm. How do you speak to that individual? I urge parents. I urge youth and adolescents. I mean, I urge teachers and counselors to really consider going to this event. I really hope you can post this, um, but it's. It's coming up. It's going to be September the 24th. It's a workshop from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Um, and it's at the Islamic Center of Detroit. And it's going to be hosted by Dr. Stephanie Castley, who has a Ph.D. Um, in counseling from Wayne State University. And it's, it, 
Basically, you will be prepared to interact with a person experiencing a mental health crisis. As a training workshop, you get a certificate. I urge you. I urge individuals who are tuning in. I urge the hosts. I urge myself. I mean, myself first and foremost to make some time to attend those to attend those trainings. It's always great to be prepared. You never know and, who you will encounter. And let and let let's be super realistic. Not all of us will become mental health interventionists or preventionists, but I think some of us should be. I think we, I think we need some representation from the community so that we know that at least we have done our part. And then the rest is in the hands of Allah. Exactly. And and knowledge is power. Having that information with you in your head, having exposure to that information, that is invaluable as well. Allahu alam. No, and I have just a few comments before we conclude. Uh, some people may ask, but what if I'm having so much emo- range of emotions and I really am wishing death, basically. And there's a hadith that addresses this. I, I think people felt this dua is meaningful. So the Prophet used to say that uh, no one should wish for death for any affliction that can happen to them. But if they are going through severe symptoms or emotions, the maximum you can say as a believer is, Allahumma ahyini madamat al-hayatu khayran li, wa tawaffani madamat al-wafatu khayran li. Ya Allah, extend my life. If you know that extending my life is better for me, and end my life sooner, if you know that ending my life sooner is better for me. So it's basically, the Prophet ﷺ acknowledged, recognized that people go through range of emotions. It's not that, oh, suppress them. You're not, you're, you're, it doesn't make you a weaker of a believer if you have these emotions. Maryam ﷺ experienced severe uh, emotions uh, and she wished for death, basically. But the Prophet ﷺ said, make sure that you say this dua and in this dua, the wording of the dua, you are delegating the task of ending your life to Allah, not to yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a very therapeutic dua by itself, if you say it. So, alhamdulillah, we do have rich... Uh, content in our Islamic tradition about these issues. We just have to make them known and make people understand, normalize this discussion. I think it used to be a taboo discussion. We keep it in the corners of, but and I think we need to normalize it while making sure that Islam has answers to the situations that people have right now. Beautifully said. Yusuf uh, definitely deserves a round of applause this whole conversation, all right? This is definitely uh, the crowd. Um, Honestly, uh, first of all, thank you, Dr. Hakim, for coming, being here. If you want to plug in, by the way, how can people get your book? How can people follow you? Uh, anything that you feel like people can reach out to you. So this is the time to do it. Um, so so, so my, my social media handle is HakimBlog, H-A-K-E-E-M, blog.com, and the, on, on, on Instagram and Facebook. My book is about 40 hadith on community service and activism, basically, uh, prophetic guidance on different aspects of community service the why the what and the how basically and that's about it I'm I'm traveling between different masajid uh, but I would love to have either one-on-one discussions with anyone who might need this help while making sure that I can triage these situations if anyone if it's a marriage counseling situation if it's a, a mental health if it's career guidance inshallah I'm, I'm here for anyone who might need this help Dr. Najach, thank you for helping organize this whole panel and just this discussion. Uh, very prepared, and you did an awesome job navigating through us through this whole show. So thank you again. And how can people maybe reach out to you or follow you on your socials? Um, so my social media Instagram handle is just my name, Najat Nahshal, N-A-J-A-T-N-A-H-S-H-A-L. That's my Instagram. My uh, LinkedIn is Najat Nahshal. Um, you can send me a DM or my um, email is... Uh, N-N-A-H-S-H-A-L at umish.edu N-Nahshal at umish.edu um, I respond to um, messages from all platforms 
um, and I will do my best to triage, will do my best to uh, route individuals. I do my best to um, do as much as possible um, in order to prevent um, tragedies from happening. And if something already happened, let's uh, do our best to uh, console and, and, and get the community um, the, the, the right resources to, to navigate that tragedy. So. Thank you so much. And I'd be in Sada. Any final comments you guys want to say? Sada, I can start off with you. I know you really didn't say much. It was one of those things, but we wanted to sit back and learn. I'm sure the audience, too, like I, I, there are people watching, you know, a couple of people commented, you know, saying they love the conversation. But I know a lot of people were just more of those. So just listening. And I hope you guys enjoyed okay. it. But yeah, observing. It was, um, absolutely a learning experience. I want to thank you guys for coming on the show and also doing what you guys do. Um, inspirational um educational i appreciate it and i cannot wait to share this like with link to like pe anybody now yeah. like having this video being able to like just it could be uh, two months from now yeah. you know what i mean like anybody that has any kind of issue and i feel like we just kind of just touched on the topic like my sister said like all your do's and don'ts can be a topic of itself mm -hmm. so um but i'm happy we have this at least to get yeah. started yeah. you know get this going you know, we could even do something like once a month now. I feel like there's so many conversations that could be happening, and I think it's beneficial to the community. Any last minute thing or last comments? Abid, you want to mention? Just uh, thank you guys for coming. Also, like mental health is very important. It's something big in our community. I know, like you said before, it was 10 years ago. It wasn't even a topic that was even discussed. We are going towards um, an era that hopefully people will feel comfortable speaking about their emotions and you know reaching out to people and it's great to have people in the community that people can go to so alhamdulillah um again uh hope you enjoyed it if you did obviously you can subscribe youtube you can watch it later oz media 313 facebook is motivate me 313 instagram motivate me 313 you can listen to it later on apple and spotify podcast under oz media uh you know this you know in order to you move to the next step obviously i think number one is to raise awareness right i mentioned i can share it you can share it share it with your family members share it with people maybe you know you don't know how to say it well maybe sharing this conversation will help at least crack the conversation you know get that going actually Omar, subhanallah based on the wish or recommendation of a family member of somebody who committed suicide recently in the community he wants us to speak out he wants us to share this more he he, he kind of wanted me to give that khutbah about awareness. So technically, there's somebody who lost a dear family member who's begging us to share this information. So technically, we're responding to that. Yeah. And if there's anyone out there that want to hear about a topic or have a, a, a dire question um, that their friends are going, what their friends are going through or family members or whatever, and they don't know how to go about it, they can definitely reach out to our account as well. And we'll bring, you know, we'll try to bring as much um, specialists to come in to talk about it as well. Well, we know Dr. Hakim now, so we'll just bring him on every single show. <laughs> Dr. Najat, you can Dr. Najat, for sure, for sure. So, uh, shout out to the sponsors, the Balkan House Restaurant, Hanley International Academy, Qahwa House, and BC Adhesives. We appreciate them as well. Um, any last final comments? Any last final words you guys want to say uh, other than that? Thank you for the opportunity. This is an important conversation. Inshallah, the start of many. Inshallah. Inshallah. Well, thank you for watching, and we will see you all next week, Tuesday, 6 o'clock, same time, inshallah, and have a great rest of your day.